This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Astroline. Sports Talk 790 Astroline. Brought to you by Pluckers Wing Bar. If you don't like their wings, they'll give you the bird. Astroline. The official off-season show of Astros Baseball. This is where we talk about your Astros. Join the show. Post your questions and comments on social media. Just be sure to hashtag AstroLine. Sports Talk 790 AstroLine starts now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of AstroLine presented by Pluckers Wing Bar. Todd Callis hosting tonight, and we have a very special guest with us over the next hour. It is Bill Brown. The latest member of the Hall of Fame for the Houston Astros, Bill Brown, the gentleman that I eventually would replace in 2017, 30 years with the Houston Astros, 37 years overall in baseball. He and Billy Doran are going into the Astros Hall of Fame this year. We're going to talk to the man that everybody in Astros Nation knows as Brownie in just a little while. It is crazy. We are right on the cusp of the 2023 season. Next week, pitchers and catchers will report down at West Palm Beach. And then two weeks and two days from tonight, we have our very first spring training game. Crazy to think that baseball is that close. When we come back on Astroline, presented by Pluckers Wing Bar, we'll be talking to Bill Brown, Brownie, the latest inductee into the Astros Hall of Fame. Stay with us. Back with more right after this. The new Cactus Jack HBCU Classic is set to make its debut at Minute Maid Park. The tournament runs Friday, February the 17th through Sunday, February 19th. The field will feature Houston area Prairie View A&M and Texas Southern University, plus Southern University, Grambling State, Jackson State, and Mississippi Valley State University. Come check out the baseball and other events like the college fair or gospel breakfast as a part of this amazing weekend for tickets and more information visit astros.com slash hbcu classic today spring training is back in the palm beaches this spring experience astros baseball plus the best beaches dining and entertainment after the game there's nothing better than astros spring ball in sunny florida for tickets and more visit astros.com slash spring to book your trip Plan your visit now to the spring training home of the Houston Astros, the Palm Beaches. Welcome back to Astro Line. We are joined by a very special guest tonight, a gentleman who just a week or two ago at the Astros Fan Fest was inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Bill Brown who is with the Astros for 30 years, with the Reds for seven seasons before that, is the latest member of the Astros Hall of Fame, along with Bill Doran. Uh, Brownie, great to have you. How's it feel after being on the board for all these years to be an Astros <laughs> Hall of Famer? Well, I'm just so humbled and, and so thrilled by it, and to God be the glory. And, you know, from a, a 14-year-old kid uh, growing up in Sedalia, Missouri, who wanted to do Major League Baseball, it's just incredible how uh, God's hand has been in our lives uh, all the way through, Todd. It just—it seems like another life right now, you know. <laughs> you, you mentioned humble as your one of your first words you said as your answer. You are, to me, always been so humble and so gracious and so um, 
in a business filled with egos, you have not somehow had an ego through the years. So are you going to be comfortable this summer accepting these accolades from everybody? Because I'm sure you've already gotten a lot of texts and voicemails at this point. It, it has been great, but no, I will not be comfortable <laughs> to answer your question very quickly. No, it's just a very uncomfortable feeling. And, you know, you have the same thing, right? You, you grew up, you know, idolizing baseball players, whether it's Bob, Bob Gibson or whoever, you know, when you whatever age you are out there. But uh, then, you know, as a broadcaster, you, you don't idolize them as much because you know them a little bit more as people. But nonetheless, you're just so in awe of their abilities and the way they perform under pressure. And uh, so to be in that same company is difficult. It's difficult. Well, you deserve it. You deserve more than that. You deserve to be not only an Astros Hall of Famer, but you deserve to be a Ford C. Frick Award winner. We can get into that at another time because that <laughs> that's a whole other story. But Brownie, uh, let's go, let's take people back because Astros fans know you as the broadcaster here for 30 years. They may not even know uh, that prior to that you were with the Cincinnati Reds. But we'll go even further back than that. You mentioned a 14 year old growing up in Sedalia, Missouri. It was it that early of an age that you knew this was the the profession you wanted to get into it was and uh, you may have done this same thing but uh, back then we had one television game a week the Saturday game of the week so you know it became a challenge to turn off the sound on that TV game and work with a little tape recorder and, and try to do your own play-by-play -play. that's the way it started and then you know going out to the park and and doing uh, little league games or whatever you know it, it didn't really matter you know as Al Michaels said in his book just describe something. And he said, I used to describe my mother doing things in the kitchen. <laughs> well, I never did that, but um, Al's a far better guy than, than I am at, at this uh, craft. And nonetheless, you, you know, it's all about describing. So it's necessary to put your voice to use, put it on tape, listen to, you know, you always cringe, right? To, to listen to your voice on tape and how, you know, boy, that sounds so bad you know so have someone else give you their opinion rather than always going with your own i gotta think somebody who grew up in the midwest and specifically missouri you mentioned al michaels but almost everybody from missouri or the midwest had a jack buck influence at some point in their career and that probably was your case as well jack was the guy for me and uh, you know uh, harry Carey certainly is deserving of, of all of his hall of fame status great great broadcaster he could build drama like no one he was fantastic. Jack was more, you know, and I think the thing about Jack maybe that uh, was so appealing was that uh, he made it sound so easy, Todd. And you've heard him many times. But I think, you know, the average person listening would get the opinion, yeah, I could do that. And yet then you find out, you know, once he reaches the, the pinnacle of the profession and does network shows and World Series games and golf and all these things, uh, what a talented guy he was at making it sound easy. He was amazing. Uh, Bill Brown joining us, the latest inductee in the Astros Hall of Fame. Brownie, who grew up in Missouri, would attend University of Missouri, a fine school for communications. You said you, you always thought you could possibly do this as a youngster. Was it there that you realized you could possibly make a, a profession out of that? How how? How was that time at Missouri? That was uh, it was a great time, but also uh, being at one of the top journalism schools mm -hmm. and being surrounded by very talented people, 
Uh, that caused a little pause in the whole process because there was a guy named Chris Lincoln who was in class with me, and he was the voice of the Missouri Tigers on their radio network for football and basketball. And here I was writing copy on a, on a broadcast lab for his afternoon sports show. And so yeah, you look at people like Chris Lincoln and say, well, okay, how, how in the world am I going to make my dream with people like this out there to compete with? Yeah. You do go through Missouri, and your first job, out of Missouri is in San Antonio. Yeah, I, I got lucky. I had had an internship in San Antonio okay. at this station the uh, summer before my mm -hmm. senior year. So uh, back then, we had the military draft. Yep. And when you came out of college, if you didn't have children uh, to give you a deferment for that reason, or if you weren't going to graduate school or something like that, or you weren't enlisting, you were draft bait. And that's what happened to me. I, I chose to roll the dice on that one. I, I did apply for the Marine Reserves and and... God help me if I had ever gone to Marine Basic. <laughs> I wouldn't have come out of there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so then while you're applying for a reserve slot, the draft stays away. Right. And then when they passed on me because my eyesight was horrendous, the draft swooped down and took me away from Channel 4 in San Antonio, and I was very, very glad because they wouldn't let me do sports there, Todd. Okay. I was a news reporter. So was San Antonio your first introduction? Base, I mean, you interned there the year before, you said, but was that your first introduction to Texas, or had you had a background in the state? No, that was the first introduction to Texas, and um, uh, my wife had a problem with the cockroaches when we moved there. <laughs> so uh, she, she wanted to move on when we got out of the Army. She, so that's when we went to Cincinnati. <laughs> but you, were, you mentioned the Army. You were in Vietnam. Yes. And you basically, similar to my dad, you were able to continue your craft while in the Army. In fact, it was a major break for me. Uh, now, the pay for Spec 4 wasn't a major break, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, looking back on it, I realize now, you know, you talk about the hand of God being on your life. Well, well, you know, I couldn't do sports in San Antonio. Uh, and they said, well, you look too young. You're not believable. You don't have credibility. Can you grow a mustache? I said, no, I can't grow a mustache. So I was a news reporter. But uh, when I got to Saigon, they needed a sportscaster. So the Army was really a big break for me. I was doing shows, you know, every night on radio and TV and uh, taping games, and it was absolutely, you know, if you're going to be in Vietnam, sure. it's hard to get a better gig than that. <laughs> Crazy to sound, but, but that was your uh, learning ground more than maybe any other place because you did so much. Yeah. Yeah, and you come back to Cincinnati after that. Yeah, come back to Cincinnati. Uh, that was a difficult interview too to get that job. I was turned down by Dayton, Ohio, which again was a break. You know, wound up in a bigger market yeah. doing weekend sports, and and it just uh, opened up. We, you know, Channel Five there, the NBC affiliate, did a lot of live broadcasting. They had live entertainment shows in the studio, Todd. They had a studio audience, a band, entertainers. Now I wasn't a part of any of that, but. Just trying to show you that, that yes. they were so committed to live broadcasting, and sports was a big part of that. So it was just a, a real break to work for that station. And once you start working for that station, how do you then transition into calling games? Because baseball wasn't the first sport you called in Cincinnati. No, and I didn't do minor league baseball. So mm. I really didn't know the game as well as I should have. And that showed up on the air a few times. 
So I always think that doing minor league games is a great training ground and probably the best one there is. But, you know, it, it, you're lucky if you work at a station that, that has the Cincinnati Reds games, mm-hmm. that has uh, University of Cincinnati basketball, some, some games, some Xavier University games, some hockey, you know, minor league hockey with the swords of the American Hockey League. And then uh, we have hockey expansion. We have a new league, the WHA, the Cincinnati Stingers come along and somebody's got to do the games. And if you're on staff, they're going to come to you and instead of hiring some high-priced guy from Tampa, Florida to come in and do the games. <laughs> That's funny. So so you did a variety of sports, yeah. and you're there seven years. Mm-hmm. And at this point, things are pretty good in Cincinnati for you. Yeah. How does the transition go from what you're doing in Cincinnati to now all of a sudden starting your career here with the Astros? Well, I was fired in Cincinnati. Now, uh, in 82, we lost 101 games, and I wasn't very good. Uh, It wasn't necessarily the team, uh, but, you know, it it was a shock. It was a real jolt to get that that last paycheck there. And then HSE was starting Mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh. But there wasn't any baseball play-by-play because they had Bob Prince – and Steve Blass and Willie Stargell doing the HSE Pirates games. So uh, I was the sports director, did the studio shows, that kind of thing. After one year, we went out of business. Went back to Cincinnati. Sports Time Cable Network was brand new. Again, they didn't need anybody to do baseball. They needed a senior producer to organize the studio shows. So uh, one year later, the the job was, was fun. It was going great, but they ran out of money and went out of business there. And uh, they transferred some of us employees to the Financial News Network in Santa Monica, California, where we started a sports show on nationwide cable. But again, that was not really an on-air job, no baseball. So when the opportunity came in Houston, I had not done baseball really for five years. Wow. And I was a little worried about that. You talk about not doing minor league baseball, but within minor league ball, there are a lot of trials and tribulations for guys. Some make it, some don't, and it's it's not always a meritocracy. It kind of kind of does you you get your breaks. For you, you had those ups and downs within your professional career, not doing minor league ball. What you just described, there had to be sometimes when you didn't know or Diana didn't know if that, if this was going to work out. Oh my gosh. Uh, there were so many years when we didn't know if it was going to work out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost hard to believe looking back at it now that it did. <laughs> so how did you get the Astros job? Well, there were three of us. Um, actually, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. In 86, when the Astros were on their way to the playoffs, uh, the general manager was Dick Wagner. Mm-hmm. He had been the general manager of Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Reds when right. I was there. And, uh, we were doing this, this studio show, as I mentioned, in L.A., and we were always looking for guests, and a lot of them would be out-of-town guests. And uh, so we were looking ahead at the schedule and said, well, the Astros are coming in to play the Dodgers in September. Uh, and I said, well, let me see if Dick Wagner is making the trip because I know him. And I called him, and he said, yes, he was going to be there. And I asked him if he would do an hour show with me, a call-in show on network uh, cable. And he said, yeah. So we did the show, and I took him back to his hotel because we had no, no budget for transportation, of course. Uh, very, very lean operation. And uh, we were chatting, and he said, well, are you trying to get back in baseball? I said, no, I, I've had these other jobs, and we're bouncing around every year and trying to get the family relocated and get our daughter a nice school and all these things. No, I haven't been chasing baseball jobs, and, you know, they're so difficult to get anyway. You can waste a lot of time doing that. 
And that was the end of that until he called me in November and said, hey, I remember our conversation. We have an opening now. Are you interested? And I said, well, I certainly am. And he said, well, uh, fine, then send your, your resume and your tape to our director of broadcasting. And uh, then it got narrowed down to three of us, and they flew each of us in on a different day. And we didn't know anything about this, but they had us do an audition. And we, they took us to HSE, and they told each one of us, hey, look, you three are, are really close together. Of course, they didn't tell us who the other candidates were, but we're going to have all of you do play-by-play of the middle three innings of this Dodger-Astro game from last year. And we'll put a little crowd noise behind you and your voice, and, and then we'll have all three of you to compare. And they gave us the starting lineups, and they gave us the media guides for the two teams, and they said, we'll give you 30 minutes to look over things, then we're going to roll the tape, put your voice on it, and we'll be done with it. Wow. So you're meeting with Dick Wagner. You tell him you're probably not in the baseball game anymore. He remembers you, calls you, knowing there was an opening, and that starts your 30-year journey here. How does this happen, Todd? Unbelievable. (laughs) That doesn't happen. 1987, (laughs) Yes, you start here. Some 500 teams early on. Um, And then all of a sudden, you guys got on a run towards the end of the the life of the Astrodome there. The late 90s were really good. Yeah. Yeah, we had that rebuilding period. You know, the the team was getting older there after the 86 playoffs, and and so there was some restructuring and um, some reliance on the minor leagues and some 100 lost seasons and things of that nature. But um, then, you know, when Drayton McLean bought the team, uh, it started to get better. And um, Terry Collins came in. He had a lot of life as a manager. The team was getting good. And by the time Larry Durker took over, um, they were ready to win. And so 97, 98, 99, those were all playoff years. And you know, you really had the feeling, if you had been with the team since the, the late 80s, that that was the turning corner time. And looking back on it, it certainly was. But, you know, sports, year-to-year existence pretty much, Todd. People get hurt. A lot of things happen. A lot of things happen, and that's the time when there was a big transition. Uh, not, You know, I, I grew up with veteran stadium. Guys grow up with different men and women grew up with different stadiums in their lives that are no longer around Fortunately, the Astrodome's still around, but for many people, that was a transition they weren't ready for. This was the eighth wonder of the world. What are, what are your recollections of the late 90s and then the, the transition to this new stadium that we sit in today? I love the Astrodome um, for selfish reasons, partly because if you came in, like I did in Cincinnati as a visiting broadcaster, and you maybe had been to Philadelphia before you got here and you had a couple of rain delays there or whatever, New York, and the weather was bad and you had long, long – well, you were going to have a two-and-a-half-hour ball game in the Astrodome, right? Mm-hmm. And it was probably going to be three to two. There weren't going to be a lot of home runs. <laughs> right. So for, it was a broadcaster's dream to work there. And uh, I just I, – I love that style of baseball, the, the pitching, you know, the Nolan Ryans and the Mike Scotts and on down the line – uh, every pitch was important. You had doubles, triples, stolen bases. You know, every play in the game seemed so significant with the lower scores. And, and that's the kind of baseball I think most broadcasters really prefer. No, you're absolutely right. Those games uh, in the Astrodome, you score a run or two early. You're in great shape. Uh, Bill Brown, so much to talk about. We're just uh, getting going here. We've gone through his early times in Missouri, and now we're into the first few years now. Uh, the new uh, change into the Minute Maid Park after being in the Astrodome for all those years. When we come back, we'll talk more with Bill Brown, the latest inductee in the Astros Hall of Fame. We'll hear from 
him about some of the good teams in 04 and 05. We'll play some highlights from those seasons. And we'll talk a little bit about being the latest inductee into the Hall of Fame along with Bill Dorn. A lot going on tonight as we continue with Astro Line presented by Pluckers. Wing Bar will have more right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your Houston Astros are World Series champions. The Houston Astros do it again. 2022 World Series champions. And now they look to end the 2023 season the same way. Become an Astros season ticket holder now to catch all the action as the Astros go for the repeat. Get access to every game, including opening day and postseason. And it's madness in our house again. Plus, enjoy exclusive benefits only offered to season ticket holders. Witness the golden era of Astros baseball. Visit Astros.com slash season tickets today. Your first chance to see the 2022 World Champions is at Astros Spring Trading. Spring Trading tickets are on sale now. Enjoy the Palm Beaches and see your Astros in sunny Florida as they gear up for the 2023 season. The following is a presentation of Major League Baseball and the Houston Astros. Hello again, everybody. This is Milo Hamilton along with Alan Ashby. Hi again, everyone. I'm Gene Elston along with Dwayne Stats and the Dean of National League Technicians, Bob Green. Nice to have you with us today. These are the classics. There it goes deep into center field. Way, way back goes Matty Alou. And that ball is an Astro orbit. Hit in the air to deep left field. Way back, way back. That is to relive and to remember for all time. Jose Altuve, a walk-off two-run homer. Astros headed back to the World Series. Your favorites. Game is over. Astros win. Astros beat the Dodgers. It's another Central Division crown for the Houston Astros. And let the fun begin. Our favorites. And go, and this is number two of the game. He lifts this one. Left field, Arriba, Gurriel, we're tied. Houston Astros history. Well, this will go down as a very, very big game in the Astros history. Here's the 0-2. It's time now for another classic. This is the Astros Radio Network. Live for a minute late park in Houston. Fox Sports Net presents Houston Astros Baseball. Today, the Astros take on the Colorado Rockies. It has been an improbable run for your Houston Astros during the last several weeks, and they're hoping to add a banner this year next to the banners flying here in Minute Maid Park. The Astros quite simply have something today that they haven't had in their hands in the last couple of weeks, and that is a chance to clinch it. It's all in their hands, Bill Brown. They can do it today. Brandon Backey. Brandon Backey gave the Astros a 2-0 lead with a single in the second inning on an 0-2 pitch with two outs. 
And he worked five innings, allowing five hits, two runs. He had six strikeouts. He was informed this morning that he would be the starting pitcher. And Roger Clemens had been sick overnight, was on an IV, and offered the pitch. Bill Garner thought it was better to go with Backey. That decision was justified. Uh, Brandon Backey was in line to be the winning pitcher in the most important game of his career. Now Brad Lidge trying to get the last three outs in the most important game of his career. And this team, which was written off by so many, is on the verge of doing something very big. Third strikeout for Lidge. Now the leadoff man, Aaron Miles. Fastball to Miles. Brandon Backey has stayed in the dugout. Everybody standing at Minute Maid Park. In the dirt, and he swung. It's 0 2. If the Astros win, they will have the night at home, and they will travel to Atlanta Tuesday morning for the first game on Wednesday. No balls, two strikes. Getting ready for their first trip to the playoffs since the 2001 season. Their record would be 36 and 10 since August 15th. Struck him out. And they are jumping for joy. The Astros race onto the field. Brad Lidge embracing Brad Auspice. And very soon there's going to be a pileup in front of that mound as the Astros celebrate a return to the playoffs. They are winners of their last seven games to finish the season in a rush. It's 18 straight at home to extend their own club record. And that matches the longest home winning streak in the major leagues since the last 10 years. They are the wild card champions. Phil Garner's club closing with a record of 48 and 26 after he took over at the All-Star break. And what a team it's become. A phase in which they will need 11 more wins to be world champions. The Astros are back in the playoffs. The bubbly is cold. They are ready to celebrate. This will be one crazy night in Houston, Texas. This is Astros Rewind, presented by Pluckers Wing Bar. Pluckers Wing Bar, you can follow them on social for all the latest specials and to find a Pluckers near you. That was a big game, end of the 2004 season. Astros against the Colorado Rockies. What are your recollections of that game that Roger Clemens was supposed to start? We were all shocked when we got to the ballpark and, and saw the lineup card, and Clemens was not the starting pitcher. And so we went into Phil Garner's office, and he explained that uh, Roger had been up most of the night, was ill. And so back he was in the training room, we were told. And uh, Phil came in and sprang it on him that he was going to be a starting pitcher. And he immediately got up and started moving around and, and got himself ready to go. But And, and back he was a very talented pitcher. Uh, it wasn't shocking that he did what he did, but – just, you know, how many times have you heard of this? I mean, you, you've got this Cy Young Award winner who had an 18-4 and four season, 
and he's going to start the final game that you have to have a win on to get into the playoffs, and now he's not. Right. So that's just a major jolt to start your day on the final day of the season. But Backy did a great job. We mentioned in the last segment you had the three out of four run, 97, 98, 99, then 01. Now this 04 season ended in the NLCS, but then you start out 05, and the team's 15 and 30. And the local newspaper pretty much declared the season over. That that had to be a strange time coming off the 04 season. Oh, it was because of all the talent on the team. You know, I mean, you had uh, Clemens and Pettit and Oswalt. And you, well, Bagwell was hurt. We knew that coming into the season. But, you know, Berkman had a good year, even though he had had surgery and he missed the first month of the season. But then he came back to play some first base and outfield and wound up having a, a, a solid year. And, Morgan Ensberg had a had a fantastic year. Hit 31 homers that year, but um, there had been a transitional period after 04 because, you know, they had traded the Astros had traded for Carlos Beltran in the middle of the 04 season, and then he just lit it up in the playoffs in 04. But he was a free agent. He moved on to New York after the season, so he had to be replaced. Jeff Kent was gone, so Craig Biggio moved from the outfield back to second base. Uh, Berkman took over at first, and then sometimes he played the outfield, and we had Mike Lamb, and Mike Lamb had a good year that year. Willie Tavares was the center fielder, and Willie was speedy, very good defensive player, not a, not a slug-type hitter. So we were missing a lot of power there from Beltron, and um, Willie did a great job, but it was a very challenged offensive club that year. And uh, you could see by, by Clemens' record, he was 13-8, uh, and eight. And his ERA was under two. You know, you had to see it to believe that he could have lost eight games that year the way he pitched. But um, this team, 15 and 30, and, you know, after, after almost reaching the World Series the year before, people are just wondering. And then the Tombstone article comes out in the Chronicle, and, okay, they buried us now. I think that helped. I think Really? That, yes, because in that clubhouse, the players, even though they knew how bad they were, and Tim Perper was a general manager, and he told me one time in an interview, you know, we'd come in every day and look at each other in the clubhouse and say, are we this bad? And our answer was always, no, we're not. So they didn't want to make changes. They just wanted to give the team a chance. Well, finally, things started to turn, and they were 44-44, and 44, as they had been in 04 after 88 games. Interesting. Yeah. And then um, – Boy, they were still, you know, they were just being challenged like crazy to try to put runs on the board. And uh, finally, they gelled late in the season. But they were only the second team in history to uh, reach the World Series after being 15 games under. How about that? Uh, yeah, 1914 Miracle Braves were the first ones. So it, it just showed you that they were able to pull together and overcome all these problems and still get it done in the end. You mentioned things started to come together. There was that big game in September. Uh, Billy Wagner on the mound in the Hall, of, who should be a Hall of Famer soon too, and, and Craig Biggio at the plate. That was one of the big moments of that season. Oh man, I remember that so well. High drive for Biggio. Watch this one go to left field. That's a three-run homer for Craig Biggio. What a swing of the bat! And the Astros <laughs> grab the lead again. Oh my! Wow! Dramatic ninth inning, and Craig Biggio unloads home run number 20. A three-run shot, and the Astros lead it 8-6. to six. Unbelievable. Two outs in the ninth inning, and Biggio hits a three-run homer, and they win it 8-6, to six, and, you know, off one of the top closers, as you mentioned. 
in the game. Uh, what a dramatic home run for Craig and um, and the team. You know, to win like that on the road was was really special. So they, it, you know, and they did it in 04 too. They just for some reason they they didn't get rolling until August. You know, and then they just put together an incredible run. So in 05 they were 17 and 11 in September, and uh, you know they needed to win. Every single time, and then they go to the final day again, and Oswalt beats Greg Maddox of the Cubs, and they, they make the playoffs. But, you know, they won uh, 89 games that year, Todd. After a 15-30 and 30 start. Yeah. So you mentioned <laughs> 04, you know, getting by the Braves, losing that dramatic series against the Cardinals. Did you feel like as they were heading into the 05 postseason that this could be the Astros team that finally gets to the World Series? Or – was the 15 and 30 start still in the back of your mind? Like maybe do they have enough offense to get there? I think the 15 and 30 start was out of our minds. Yeah. We were looking at what we had been seeing recently and we thought, okay, finally they have put it together and man, they're going to be tough now because with all the star power they have on this team, uh, even without Jeff Bagwell, you know, uh, it looked as if, you know, cause a lot of times playoff games are, two to one three to two games and they were geared for those games they had a great defensive club Adam Everett at shortstop made every play uh and and Willie T and center and you know so on down the line they just really with with Osmus calling the games they had a very good defensive club and as it turns out that would be the first team in Astros history to get to the World Series uh, Bill Brown, so much to talk about. We're just getting going here. We've continued with Astro Line presented by Pluckers. Wing Bar will have more right after this. Welcome back to Astro Line. We are joined by a very special guest tonight, a gentleman who just a week or two ago at the Astros Fan Fest was inducted into the Hall of Fame, Bill Brown. Brownie, one of the things broadcasters uh, have in common is every once in a while, you'll get a rare off day on the road. And some people, you know, tour the city. Some people just sit in their hotel room. Some people go to the games. You had an interesting off day in San Francisco one year. <laughs> well, at this point, I was not a golfer. and uh, But I was a kayaker and picked that up a little bit later in life than most people do. So in the beginning, I had an inflatable kayak. Uh, I would not necessarily recommend that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, when we go on the road... I would rent kayaks in cities like San Francisco and Milwaukee and uh, just go, you know, we had a game. Uh, well, one time we had a day off and uh, of course, Alan Ashby and Milo Hamilton never had days off. So they were on the radio from uh, the ballpark, AT&T, I think they called it at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went down and rented a kayak at McCovey's Cove. And uh, so anybody can rent kayaks. Yeah, there. anybody. Yeah, sure. I, I saw all kinds of people just walking in and renting kayaks and taking off. And and so I went out to McCovey's Cove and it was about uh, an hour before the game. And I called Alan Ashby on my cell phone and he answered. And I said, Ash, what are you doing? He said, I just got back in the booth from from lunch. Why? What's going on? I said, you see that orange kayak out there beyond the center field scoreboard? He said, yeah. I said, that's me. He, he got mad because, <laughs> because I was off and he wasn't. <laughs> that's awesome. But, but another one, um, we had a night game, and I, I wanted to go kayaking, but we had no day off there on this particular trip. In San Fran? Yeah, in San okay. Fran. So I went down to the same rental place, mm -hmm. and the guy said, uh, now, when you take this out, don't go left down by the Coit Tower and 
underneath the Bay Bridge. Just go to your right. Well, I went to the left. And um, so (laughs) I I got, uh, you know, where the Coit Tower is. So the land kind of comes to a point. Right. And I went around that point, and now you can see Alcatraz. You oh, know, it's, wow. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And then I pulled up, um, you know, where the cruise ships are in the dock there. So I wasn't too far from there. And then I turned around, and I was coming back. And I got caught in a cross current. Oh, boy. Yeah, right right where the the land meets in that, in that little corner by Coit Tower, the current was coming from one direction and another direction. And, you know, the harder you paddle, you're trying to get out of this cross current, and and I wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) So I was paddling as hard as I could, and I wasn't moving. And I'm thinking, uh, let's see, we've got a game tonight. I wonder what time I'm going to get this kayak back to the rental place, or if I am. If you will. <laughs> so, you know, finally I started moving, and oh, I'm breathing a big sigh of relief. Oh, good. I'll be exhausted, but I can do the game tonight. And I, I'm moving. I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. And I see something coming toward me under the water. Uh-oh. The, the water's kind of rippling there in front. And I had no idea what this was going to be. Because <laughs> there were a lot of sharks in those uh, waters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what we were going for here. But the way the day was going, it probably could have been a shark. But anyway, I see this head poke right up out of the water and look right at me. And it's a sea lion. No. Oh, yeah. So cool. Great. The day you called Ash, did you watch the game from McCovey's Cove or did you get out of there before it started? Nah, I took off. (laughs) Burke is the batter. Ensberg is on deck. And the pitch. Swinging. Lining it to left. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Press Burke! Holy Toledo! What a way to finish! Chris Burke just purchased the ticket to St. Louis. Line drive, home run, Landridge Crawford boxes. The confetti is coming down. The Astros are celebrating on the field. They do it in four. Uh, so many great moments. How about the 18th inning Chris Burke home run walk off? That was incredible. That whole story, uh, Clemens pitching in relief. <laughs> and, you know, they were down by uh, – Four runs, I think, twice in that game. Berkman hit a grand slam. And they go to uh, Kyle Farnsworth is on the mound, and Osmus is at the plate, two outs in the ninth inning, and, and Brad hits that, – that was the best ball I swear he has ever hit in his life over the left center field wall for that home run. And this uh, this building just absolutely almost fell down with the noise. It was just incredible. And to think that they had come all that way back. And then it goes, and nobody scores, you know. And it, now it goes to the 18th inning. And we see these shots on the monitor of the Astros' bullpen every inning. And now it's down to where it's Roger Clemens sitting there by himself in the bullpen. And uh, it was just almost impossible to believe. And then you find out later the story that Clemens had, uh, well, he told me. He said, well, I hadn't had anything to eat that morning. <laughs> And uh, we had had a night game the night before. And so um, Phil Garner just said, well, come on in. You're not pitching tomorrow. You just come on in whenever you want to. He said, well, my kid's got a game in the morning. Can I go to that? He said, yeah, I'll go to the kid's game. And so he came in late, and he sat down to eat breakfast, and uh, he got pulled away to do something else. So he never really ate. Well, now, you know, we're in the 12th, 13th, 14th inning, and he's out, in the, and, and they said, well, can you pitch? He said, yeah, I think I can pitch. Let me go in there and, 
and uh, try to get loose, and he did. And so um, he said, yeah, I can pitch. But he's thinking, okay, i got to go out to the bullpen now and warm up, but I haven't had anything to eat. <laughs> Man, I've got to have some food. <laughs> and so he walks out to the bullpen, and he gets out there, and he says, okay, guys, where's the backpack with all the snacks in it? They're, oh, we threw the snacks out to the fans in the 14th inning stretch. He said, what? <laughs> so he's come on no yeah i gotta have a clubhouse guy bring me some bananas in a towel so people can't see what he's bringing me and i'm he's downed a bunch of bananas warmed up and, but but before that oh my god it's like in about the fifth sixth inning they were going through players mm-hmm. right and left with the braves opening up that early and and, yeah. and andy pettit was sick he was deathly ill and he wanted to pitch but he he couldn't he couldn't go so um, they were going through all these relievers, and yet uh, Clemens thought, "Well, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna." As I told you, he needed to warm up, mm-hmm. so he called uh, the suite, and his family was up in the suite watching the game, and so Kobe uh, said, "Yeah, I'll come down and catch you." <laughs> so, okay, can I bring my friend? He said, "Yeah, go ahead and bring your friend." And so he brought his friend down there, and they're in the indoor batting cage, and, and Roger's throwing, and and um, he's he's getting it up to, you know, mid-80s and to where he thinks, okay, yeah, I, I think I can pitch today. And then Kobe sit, looks down and he sees a bat. He said, uh, you mind if I take a few swings? He said, no, go ahead. So his friend catches, and Co- so Kobe hits a line drive right over Rocket's head Ooh. and off the back screen of the uh, cage, and uh, Roger got mad. he started throwing him sliders and uh, split fingers and you know he's now he's sweating he's sweating like crazy but uh he was not about to tell phil garner of course when phil asked him to pitch that he had done this thing you know and he right thrown for about i don't know how many pitches he threw 70 or whatever it was it was incredible you know the man is the man's a legend. <laughs> Absolutely legendary. <laughs> Speaking of legends, Brownie, you've had a lot of legends to call in Astros history. You mentioned Roger Clemens. You had it, Andy Pettit, Roy Oswalt, Billy Wagner. Uh, of course, the Killer Bees, Craig Biggio, Jeff Bagwell, Lance Berkman. Biz, um, you knew it was coming. He was approaching that big moment in 2007. Uh, tell us about your preparation going into June 8th and then that moment where he gets number 3,000. About two weeks before that night, uh, we were in Colorado, mm-hmm. and I was having lunch with one of my broadcaster buddies. You know him, Wayne Hagen. Sure. So Wayne said, well, have you thought about uh, the Biggio 3,000th hit call? I said, not really. And he said, well, you mean, you're not trying to get anything together for it? I said, No. He said, why not? I said, ah, you know, those scripted calls don't make it, man. That's just not the way to go with a big moment. Like, you just have to let it happen. And I've heard this from every other broadcaster who's ever had a big call like that. And he said, well, I think you might want to think about this a little bit. <laughs> and now I'm starting to get worried. <laughs> he said, you know, this call is going to be immortalized. And it needs to be special. And it needs to be memorable. And he deserves it, and the fans deserve it, and I think you might want to put a little bit more into this. So now for the next two weeks, Todd, I am <laughs> grinding to come up with something, and I've got nothing, absolutely nothing. And so we're at Milwaukee. We get home. I'm driving in the garage, and uh, something something enters my brain at that point, and I write it down. 
and stick it in the back of my scorebook. And it's not the way you call the hit, mm-hmm. right? You just have to call that the way it happens. Sure. But this is a kind of an add-on line for later on that people never remember. And, you know, it just makes you feel good because you said something different, right? So uh, it was uh, something like, uh, you know, years ago, he grew up in a small town in New York, and now this hit stamps him as somebody who's going to be moving to another small town in New York, Cooperstown. And that's about all I could come up with. Wide drive, right center field, that's number 3,000, and he drives in a run, and he's going for second, Tavares with the throw, he's out, but that's 3,000 hits for Craig Vigio. It ties the ball game. He arrived 20 years ago from Smithtown, New York, with Texas-sized dreams, and now as he's mobbed by his teammates, those dreams have become reality. And they'll be recognized someday in another town in New York, Cooperstown. 3,000 hits for Craig Vigio, the 27th man to reach that figure. There comes Patty and Quinn, the boys in uniform tonight down in the dugout. Connor and Kevin have been on the last couple of road trips. We were told Craig did not want the game stopped very long tonight, but obviously the moment has to be celebrated. Oh, absolutely. What a time for Houston baseball. It was great. Thank you. It was great. And that ended up being a phenomenal game. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, uh, uh, Biggio's 3,000 to the side. That game in itself in a vacuum was a great game with Carlos Lee walking it off. <laughs> And who who even remembers that? Right, Car- right. Carlos Lee, a poor guy. You know, he was booed most of the time here. He drove in 100 runs about every year he played here, and he hit the game-winning grand slam, and nobody even remembers that. <laughs> that was a, a great night. Uh, Brownie joining us, Bill Brown on Astro Line, newest member of the Astros Hall of Fame. You have worked with a lot of different guys through your career, but you've had three uh, really memorable color analysts primarily through the years. We'll start with uh, your buddy Larry Durker, who uh, pretty much has done everything in Astros history. Tell us about your recollections of your time working with Dirk in the booth. Well, I just remember, as you do, you know, when you first arrive in a city, things happen that you remember years later that made you feel comfortable. And just the way that Larry and, you know, Milo was here, Bill Worrell, and uh, everybody who was here, uh, they were all very welcoming, as as you you saw when you moved in. Um, Houston's a great city to move to. Uh, everyone treats you so well as a stranger, and, and you, you just don't feel like somebody who's come from another state. And um, I just felt very much at home because Larry uh, was a storyteller, and I relied on him. And I understood that I needed to rely on the analyst. So that continued with the Jim Deshays, Alan Ashby, you know, you do this with, with Blummer. Um, that's what you do. You get out of the way. Nobody really turns on a, a TV game to hear the play-by-play guy. Uh, they want to watch the game. Right. They want to hear things that help them learn about the game. Well, if, if you're like me, you know, every night you're sitting next to your analyst, you're learning about the game. Most people, obviously the fans who listen to you from the start in 87 will remember your time with Durker, but most people associate you 
witch in the shades. All those years, all those successful years, uh, your thoughts of those seasons working the booth with Jim D? Oh, well, you know, people used to tell me all the time, hey, I, I really root for a one-sided game. I said, really? They said, yeah, because J- that's when J.D. gets funny. You know, he, And he did. He had that incredible mental gear to switch, you know, okay, we're behind 7-2 to two in the eighth inning here. People are leaving us in droves. Uh, so he would start, you know, with the Seinfeld references and things like that, and I had no idea what he was talking about. But he, <laughs> he was very, very funny, and, and people actually loved that. They could really take themselves away from the ball game and just be entertained for a while. So you, Dirk, J.D., and then your last few years, uh, Ash. Yes. You, you and Al Ashby worked together. At that point, you weren't doing all the games, right? Right. right. How, yeah. Tell us about your years with Ash. Well, I loved Ash uh, because he was very honest yep. and uh, he had all the insights of, of a catcher. And it, as you know, this, you know, Blummer is an exception. There are many exceptions, but if you were to ask a lot of play by play guys who have worked with, we'll say, five or six different analysts, they'd say, yeah, usually it's going to be the most insightful guys are going to be catchers or pitchers. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's what you had. Yeah. So I was very fortunate on that. We started this Astro Line program talking about how humble and egoless you are. And I thought, you know, when you told me in the earlier part of 2016 that you were thinking this might be your last season, I'm like, that can't be right. Because, number one, you were generous enough to give me a, a little heads up so I could get my stuff ready. But number two, I thought, you're still at the top of your game. Why did you feel like that was the right time for you? And have you had any regrets uh, about leaving the booth at that point no I haven't had regrets and I I could tell I wasn't mentally as sharp Um, I don't think the words were flowing as easily as they had been I thought that uh, I was losing a little energy and the other thing is you know when you're blessed to have done this job as long as I was uh, you realize hey you know I owe my wife a little time here Uh, yeah she has given up so many things for my career. Uh, I want to hang out with her a little bit more. That's so cool. Yeah. That is great. Well, y- your mentorship is great for young broadcasters, and the fact that they have your wealth of knowledge to draw from is just outstanding. I, I, on a personal note, and I know um, when we first moved here, you mentioned how Houston's a great city to move to. People are so welcoming. You personally were so welcoming for us, and my wife, Michelle, uh, I remember in the beginning when she didn't have anybody to go to the games with, you were always there to be able to sit with her and kind of explain the Astros players and explain the Astros history. And at one point she said to me, I think Brownie's becoming my best friend. <laughs> so, so I thank you personally. And I know there's so many people in the Houston area that know that side of you that are appreciative of not only what you did for the team on the air, but what you have done for the community off the air. And it has been an amazing run. So, Brownie, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Todd. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Brownie. This has been a lot of fun. And you and Billy D, Billy Dorn going in the summer. So that'll be a great time. You know, uh, quick story. Uh, early spring training, my first year with the Astros, 87. First, Billy had a big year in 86. And I think 87 was really his best year. But he was on Astroline. And I was hosting it, and uh, it was in Bob Green's condominium, Greenie near near Osceola County Stadium. And so, uh, we were doing this hour show on the couch there, uh, 
And Greeny has his equipment set up on the table right in front of the couch, and we were relaxing. And we got to the end, and we had the countdown, you know, we've we're got to be off the air in one minute and 30 seconds and 15. And I've never been all that good at wrapping up shows on time. But <laughs> but this this particular time, I got it right. And he was going three, two, one. And when he got to one, I stopped talking. And Billy Doran gave me a high five. And I will never forget that because I was just trying, you know, when you're joining a new team, you're just trying to fit in, right? Get to know the guys. And boy, that, that really showed me a lot. Well, <laughs> you guys will be enjoying a lot of high fives together this summer. The summer of Bills, Bill Doran, Bill Brown, latest inductees in the Astro Hall of Fame. Brownie, thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you many more times during the course of the summer. Thanks so much, Todd. You're the man. <laughs> you are the man. Hey, Astros fans, your first chance to see the 2022 World Champions in action is during the Astros Spring Training. Spring Training tickets are on sale now. Enjoy the Palm Beaches and see your Astros in sunny Florida as they gear up for the 2023 season. Visit astros.com spring to learn more. One more segment. When we come back, we'll put a bow on this edition of Astroline right after this. Astroline presented by Pluckers Wing Bar. Your Houston Astros leveled up this season and won the World Series. And the Houston Astros do it again. World Series champions. Stop by the Astros Union Station team store to pick up your World Series champion jerseys, T-shirts, hats, and commemorative items to celebrate the Astros' second World Series title. The Astros team store has everything you need to shop for that special someone. Stop by Monday through Saturday for the latest Astros merchandise. Or visit astros.com slash team store to learn more secure your spot to watch the world champs with an astros partial plan whether you want to be at minute Maid park every series every weekend or have a midweek break there's a partial plan for you check out astros.com slash ticket plans for the perfect plan today. The new Cactus Jack HBCU Classic is set to make its debut at Minute Maid Park. The tournament runs Friday, February the 17th through Sunday, February 19th. The field will feature Houston area Prairie View A&M and Texas Southern University, plus Southern University, Grambling State, Jackson State, and Mississippi Valley State University. Come check out the baseball and other events like the College Fair or Gospel Breakfast as a part of this amazing weekend. For tickets and more information, visit astros.com slash HBCU. BCU Classic today. Welcome back to the final segment of Astroline presented by Pluckers Wing Bar. The 23rd annual Shriners Children's College Classic returns to Minute Maid Park. It'll be March 3rd through March 5th. You can check out some of the top collegiate programs in the country, including Michigan, Texas Tech, and Texas A&M as they take the field for a three-day tournament. Learn more at astros.com slash college classic. Want to thank Bill Brown, the Astros Hall of Fame broadcaster, for joining us on tonight's show. He's got a lot of stories to tell, not only for this show, but also as part of our podcast. There's some bonus stories. You'll hear about Brownie's adventure kayaking in San Francisco prior to an Astros-Giants game and other stuff that maybe didn't make the cutting room floor or maybe is on the cutting room floor for this show. We'll be a part of that podcast as well. But Brownie joining us, uh, Astros Hall of Famer. Also, thanks to... Danny Riccio told us about the job fair coming up at Minute Maid Park Saturday morning, 9.30 to 11.30 right here at Minute Maid Park. That'll put a bow on this edition of Astro Line next week. We'll be back with you on the 16th. It'll be our show with the assistant general manager, the general managers of the Houston Astros, Charles Cook, Andrew Ball, Bill Furkish, joined myself and Steve Sparks. Chaz McCormick will also be part of that show. Kevin Eschenfelder will talk to Chaz as we get ready for spring training. The 16th, 
the show coming up for Astro Line right after Pitchers and Catchers Report. It is right around the corner, and that means after the 16th, we'll be doing live shows down at West Palm Beach at Duffy's on Clematis on Sunday nights. So you'll want to join us down there for spring training beginning a week from Sunday. Until our next Astro Line show, this is Todd Callis. Have a great rest of your night, and we will see you down the road. You've been listening to Sports Talk 790 Astroline, the official off-season show of Astros baseball. It's time to get soaked! Time to get wet! Brought to you by Pluckers Wing Bar. If you don't like their wings, they'll give you the bird. Astros are world champions, and here we go! Post your questions and comments on social media. Just be sure to hashtag Astroline on Sports Talk 790, home of the straws. Back to you! <laughs> Out of popping.